Hello and welcome back to yet another episode of X Rental, the show that transports you back to the 90s. This week, I'm face to face with a poorly rendered Patrick Moore as he's giving me the bloody cheat code for Sega's uh, Mega Drive's Mortal Kombat, which is, of course, A-B-A-C-A-B-B. Uh, fortunately today, though, we have our own games master with us today, and that is writer and presenter Louise Blaine. Hello. Hello. Hi, Brad. Hi, Ash. Hello. How are things, Louise? I understand that you're currently in sunny L.A. I am in sunny LA. It's lovely. Uh, although it has been rather grey because it turns out this sunny LA thing is kind of a lie and they have like entire intense periods of gloom, they call it, where it's just you don't see the sun for weeks. But it's it's a very nice place to be. See, I, I already knew that response, but I just wanted to hear her say gloom again. It's, <laughs> it's, like, treacle, it's like treacle it's in my ears. <laughs> Love it. So we are a, a show that talks all about the video shop experience and films that formed us in the 90s. Ashley, you got any questions for Lou? I do. Louise, what was your video shop experience growing up? What was it called? Where was it? Were you allowed to rent films that were 18 certificate and above because your your family were cool with the people who ran the video shop? So we had, there was two different ways that we could get VHSs. One was in the back of Spar, because I lived in a tiny village on the west coast of Scotland called Lochwinach, and you could go, like there was this tiny wall that just had the VHSs on it and it would be more likely we'd rent from there instead of the actual video shop but I really liked the video shop because also that was the first time I rented we you could rent a PlayStation like the original grey box so we rented that and a copy of Crash Bandicoot and Tomb Raider 2 on top of whatever like VHS we would rent and I was never allowed to get I, I, it was a push if I managed to get a 15 I don't think I ever managed to get an 18 out of my parents but I remember the time where my mum got my friend and I the craft in the 90s for for a sleepover. And that was the most exciting thing because I think we were maybe 13 or 14 and it was a 15 and that was such a big deal. And you had to look, you looked at the back, you looked at that rating and you were like, okay, I can convince her. I can definitely convince <laughs> her. And you'd kind of like maybe cover the bits that said what was in it. But yes, like I, I vividly remember those trips of like grabbing the video behind behind the VHS cover and just being so excited by the potential of everything that was there. That's the second spa shout as well. I think that's going to be a common theme. No, I didn't. But now that you've mentioned it and a previous guest had mentioned, I was thinking about it. And I think when I would go and spend the summers on the Isle of Wight with family on the Isle of Wight, that's where they used to get their videos from uh, until Sky Movies came along. And then they were like, we're not paying more. Yeah, because I remember we didn't have a blockbuster and I remember going to a friend in a bigger town and staying with hers and she had a blockbuster and I remember being very vividly excited, pathetically excited by the fact there was like blockbuster branded popcorn. That felt very exciting and also like they all felt very American. You had this kind of idea of what America would be like and suddenly entering a blockbuster was that, the epitome of, it's very strange, the culture that we learned through movies. Well, you, you, we have a, a unique opportunity with you because you you briefly touched upon that you know, video game rentals were a big thing in the, in the 90s as well. Yeah. And obviously you are, I'm going to anoint you queen of games. Um, <laughs> and you. so I remember very vividly like renting Abe's Oddworld Odyssey on PS1. Yes. And like you, they do like deals and you'd have them for a week rather than two days and you could really like get your teeth into them. Was that where you sort of found your first sort of passion for gaming, would you say? It really was, because my brother and I, we didn't have a console before that. I think I'd borrowed like Game Gears and Game Boys. I think my parents had tried to keep me away from games as if, oh, you won't like it. And then suddenly I did like it a lot. And I think 
it kind of reflects back to the 90s where we've got now, we've got the problem of we've got so many games. We're sitting with so many games, the pile of shame ever gets higher. But there's just kind of a beautiful thing about the fact when you got that game, when you got Abe's Odyssey or you got Crash Bandicoot or you got Terminator 2, you had to play it. And if you got stuck, you just you just kept going like you slammed your head against that wall until you were through it and we just don't do that anymore and I think that kind of I don't I think there's a nice thing to think about with that like I'm doing it with Zelda just now I'm playing nothing else I'm endlessly playing Zelda it's great but it's very few times that we get to just have that one game and you you get a very different experience out of it when that's the case and that's how we end up with these formative really real attachments to these games that we played then at the the time time, it was unnecessarily so Totally. At the time, it was kind of a nightmare, <laughs> like, we'd, but we didn't see it that way. So that's no. it's kind of that sort of rose-tinted way. And um, what film have you picked today? I have picked Titanic. Released in the UK in January 1998, the same month saw Bill Clinton's state ah, did not have sexual relationships with that woman. Victoria Poshbeist got engaged to David Beckham and the popular TV show Dawson's Creek made its television debut. Will they ever reboot it? Don't know, but they should hurry up. I don't want to wait. Fantastic. Oh, you should be very proud of that one. That was awful. Nah, that one at least was wholesome, um, which has been bereft in this season. That doesn't surprise me. That doesn't surprise me. So what made you pick the behemoth known as Titanic? Okay, so I get to sort of confess. So I saw Titanic 11 times in the cinema. And I just kept, I kept going to see it because I don't think I'd ever seen a movie that just, I, it's, it hits everything. It hits the mega disaster. It's just this epic disaster movie. But it's also this, I loved the kind of, I now see it as sort of button pushing cinema. And it's very like you are being emotionally manipulated at all times by these people. But I think I was just really swept away consistently by these characters. I as a gay woman i was absolutely in love with leonardo dicaprio for whatever reason because that is apparently an official thing it's like turns out lesbians love titanic when they were 12 but i think um yeah everything about it was just grand and i'd never seen anything like it before and it just and it also then created this kind of obsession with titanic generally so i read so many books and been to museums and all of these things so it basically sort of fueled a sort of lifelong passion for something that's i think quite a fascinating story of human struggle and tragedy you and james cameron and thankfully i've not visited the wreck a billion times no. And as you say, it, it is that melding of what I feel is like old school cinema, gone with the wind kind of epic, epic tale of of melodrama. And it's all very large and, and uh, very big performances, but then smashed headfirst into modern action cinema storytelling. Totally that. And I think it gets some incredible performances. And I think that we've never, we had that period in the 90s where we were getting, or 2000 for Gladiator, but we had Gladiator, we had Braveheart, we had Titanic, we had these big epic movies. And I think, I didn't know it at the time, but you could very much tell that Titanic was, yes, it was using CG miraculously, but at the same time, James Cameron built half a ship you know and when they were you know when they were on that ship the actors were one way but when they were meant to be on the other side of the ship they had um like the white star line hats they they had them done backwards so that even if they were meant to be on the other side he would then flip the image so that it would look like you know white star line the other way so it was the fact that everything about it was as practical as possible you know that's why that 
budget went so off the rails because he just kept building bits of the ship. And I think you can retrospectively I can look at it and say well that's because it felt genuine and it felt human and it felt touchable and real in a way that we now just don't you know Marvel has smoothed that from our video from our um, cinema experiences and I think that sort of that practical nature is is, a, is another element and another layer for just how wonderful Titanic is to still watch now and why it ages so well as well because it just looks it looks and feels um so good still and i think it was probably the last of the event films where i remember uh like watching itv on a saturday afternoon around the time of its release and they were showing like a 45 minute making of showing how they were superimposing kate winslet's face onto the stunt woman's body and things like that it was a it, it was such a huge event um which completely it was like the complete parallel opposite of what we were led to believe the film was going to be, which is a complete disaster, financial yep. flop, Cameron will be over. It's it, I, that Funny enough, I think that is the weakest bit of the entire movie now, is their faces as they're running down that corridor. Their faces kind of bright and sort of lightning flashes and you're like, oh, there's CG. But I think that's the, that's the only bit I look at and I'm like, that bit hasn't that bit hasn't been great but yeah we were obsessed i think we became obsessed with the idea of these giant tanks of water that people were in for like 10 12 hours at a time just to bring seconds of footage yeah i mean it was it was something that obviously when you picked this i i kind of half thanked you and half hated you for because it was a film that very much played into my teenage years and, and, and my sort of love of film but it wasn't it was someone that I kind of maybe left in the in the in the past you know I, we've both kind of forged a career when we talk about films in in, in horror uh and this could be a, pretty much as far yeah, the human horror but not anywhere near the kind of our wheelhouse so when I when I revisited the film again not at your behest but as due diligence uh I obviously visited it at a as you know, a, a very troubling time where I was on a severe hangover. And the emotional weight of that film had never hit me, even when I was a young, impressionable kid, all throughout. It's probably been about 15 years since I've seen it. And I sat on this sofa and I fucking sobbed my eyes out for three hours. And I was like, is this what feelings is? Like, because they because they come along so few, like they're so infrequent for me. That um and I was just wondering when when the last when was the last time that you took a trip back to Titanic and uh, does it still hold that emotional weight for you? I think that's a really interesting one because I think when I saw it in the cinema, I remember crying for the first three times that I saw it. And in that sort of teenage girl way, I mostly cried about Jack dying. And also mm. there was a couple of points where the music kicks in because um, James Horner's music's astonishing and it absolutely yeah. um, just perfect. You know, it just basically goes in and just grabs you physically. Um, But I think every time I've watched it, I've probably found tragedy somewhere else, you know, and I think knowing the real real story of Titanic and it has all these legends around it of people that, you know, neither my God to thee on the violins, etc. But when you realise that a lot of the stories, not all of them, but a lot of them are very accurate, you know, that we're going to go down like, I'm dressed in my best and going to go down like gentlemen. That was apparently exactly what he said and exactly what they did and suddenly you see these stories of well these people did die no matter what the horrific conspiracy theories on tiktok say that the titanic never sank these people these people passed there are there are horrific first person accounts of these and i think we always you'll always get prodded by a different one you know the children in the bed these are just yeah. yeah they just become representations of 
what you know knowing that that reality exists you know you end up going maybe this is slightly to prod my heartstrings but at the same time this happened people weren't allowed out of you know steerage and this that people were trapped in these places so i think every time the more human you start to think and the more emotionally vulnerable you feel the more you let it hit you and it's actually something that even one of the characters says and it's really cheesy at the end he's like oh you know i never let it in i never thought about it and that can be seen on very surface level as some not great james cameron dialogue but at the same time we can also see it as well if we did think about it if we did think about any of these tragedies at any level, we wouldn't be able to think about it. We, we can't really comprehend what happens when 1,500 people go into the water. And I think that's a kind of almost a cognitive dissonance that we find with disaster movies like this, because on one hand, we can enjoy the cinema, we can enjoy the spectacle. There's a be- One of my favourite shots in it is the when the flare goes up and it's the extreme long shot from miles away and they just this tiny, the Titanic is this tiny speck. And I think it's quite interesting to look at that as cinema and to feel it as cinema and then to continue the rest of the movie knowing that this happened, you know, and and knowing that there are still survivors who, you know, quite rightly pulled James Cameron up on his treatment of some of the characters and he apologised, you know, for James, uh, for Murdoch who did not take his own life Um, and he's sort of apologised to these people because he hadn't quite taken it all in. He was making cinema. Yeah, he was making cinema and I think like, his he's been down to the Titanic more now than I think um it, the, the than the than the passengers. He's been mm. down there longer than they spent on it because I think they were only there for three days before it sank. So I think it's a very interesting layered movie. And I do think that some people go, Oh, Titanic's just shit. And it's like, no, there's so much to Titanic. And it's about how you can approach that in your head and still appreciate it as a great movie, but also a horrific tragedy. And those things can exist in the same brain. It just requires yeah. some nuance. Indeed. I've never really understood the backlash towards it. To be honest, I, I've 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 never wrapped my. There's a lot of things where I can say, oh, you know, I can see that that's not that this film isn't for that person, and that's yeah. fine. Not every film has to be for that person. But the criticisms that were leveled at it, I always thought, well, were way off. And I mean, I'm I'm guilty of it myself. I can be cynical. I can be irreverent about the a lot of things. I can be shitty about a lot of things as well. Oh, we all can. Up to it. Yeah, I have never been able to do that about Titanic. It's it's like it's an all timer for me. For the the moment I saw it that first time in the cinema, I've seen it on every subsequent release since, and it the the impact is just never lessened. Yeah, ever. It, and it, and as you say, there's different parts that you start to connect with us. I've I've, I've got a three year old now, so whereas not that I wouldn't have connected with the the, the, the kids in the bed anyway, but Fuck them kids, Michael Jordan, yeah. Well, that, I mean, that might have been 14-year-old Ash's approach to it. But now it's a reframing of what would I... Whereas before it was like, how would I survive that? It it's now becomes watching it now as how would I handle this if I was there with my son, knowing full yeah. well on my pay grade what deck, what part of the deck I'm on, which it's, is... It's that as well. Hanging it's off that the side. Class. It's that class exploration too. I think it's mm. because it manages to do that too. I think that's something that's another appeal of it is the kind of is the layers, the literal, the sort of po- the layers of poverty to rich on that ship, which is another appeal to it. But totally, like I think that's how people approach horror as well. When they have kids, they're suddenly like, "I horror's a little different now." I know well, a lot I of people like that. You mentioned your favorite shot. What would you? Say? I mean, again, you are touching on a lot of the the tragic elements of 
Titanic, um, which it is, is a trench, but it's also just so highly entertaining. Like that it is, oh, unbelievable! What is your absolute go-to favorite scene? Oh, oh, oh! Another favorite scene because it's gorgeous and looks like a painting is um, when, actually all of it when they're running away from um, Lovejoy uh, when yes. Jack and Rose are escaping and. I, I love everything about it down to the fact that Rose is now in her like sinking outfit, which is just perfect and like very beautifully cinematic, this white with pink. And they're going down these corridors and they're running down these corridors. And I love the kind of, there's this kind of um, happy Irish music as they're escaping. But what I love is when they go down into the engine rooms and they run through the engine room and there's a brief slow-mo moment. And it's kind of one of those kind of, it just, it looks perfect. You know, there's sort of browns and the, the darkness and the fire of the of the boiler rooms is gorgeous but them just running through it and then the minute they open a door the music just dies everything goes quiet and suddenly it becomes it becomes very different again and obviously the iconic car scene happens after it but i think that chase sequence for me is almost above um any of the sinking stuff just because it it transforms i think that's another attractive thing about titanic is the fact that it it's all on this ship you know, it's all you seeing these different ways. You see these people are enclosed. So the minute you've got a chase sequence, you have people sort of caught in a trap almost. So I think that's something that I find all eminently fascinating about it too. It's kind of like a giant bottle episode almost. You can only go so many places. But yeah, that chase sequence and then the entire sort of sinking sequence. But yeah, definitely, definitely that chase. What's your favourite section, Ash? Oh, there are so many because it's there's there's parts that, are my favourite for dumb reasons. Like anything involving Fabrizio is hilarious. He's There's not much, to be fair. No, but it's it's just the single worst accent I've ever heard. But it goes all the way round to being completely endearing. There's that when they leave on Titanic. Oh, I love that whole section for a start. The, the yes. card game and then running onto the Titanic and him getting up going, I will never forget by you. Yes. Like, about that. Chris Pratt. Take notes. That's how you do a Mario accent. <laughs> um, <Woo-hoo! laughs> uh, but I, I think it's probably the section post-coital when they stumble out onto the deck and there is the hitting and they're on the they're on the they're on the side. You can see the shards of the iceberg coming off, hitting the deck, and. As you said, with the, with the scene that you said was your favourite, that is the turning point of the film. It's where it yeah. goes from being the romantic drama to the tragic disaster movie, which I am a complete sucker for. Anyway, like yeah. you will not find a bigger fan of Armageddon than me. Just you, we, we could try, but it wouldn't. Oh, it would be no we good. Could try, but I'll kill him. I will always be number one. Um, but yeah, that turn uh, from big romantic sweeping love epic to the disaster element, those two scenes stitched on either side of the love scene are just, it's just so perfectly paced uh, and just genuinely scary as well. Yeah, And that as well is amazing because that ties in again because the guys are still looking for them in the hold Mm. and the hold splits and that's where the water comes in. So it's almost like we're just still seeing it's, it's, it's still managing to hold the story and continue the story at the same at the same time as doing doing the disaster thing and i think that's like that's why it's it, it never sacrifices one for the other they're constantly just interwoven do you yeah. see the do you see the iceberg as a uh, a slasher villain 
pu- punishing Jack and Rose for premarital sex. It's arguably got the highest body count of any horror movie ever. If that's listen, I've got to I've got to claw it back somehow back into my wheelhouse. You're talking about feelings and love and ice, and I'm not. But you cried, Brad. You cried. Cried. But yeah, I, I just it seemed like there's such a doomed fatalism because they're literally at their happiest moment, and at their happiest moment, it's ripped away by a big fucking brick piece of ice. Yep. Um. Did you to 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 switch gears slightly? To go back to the VHS thing, did you own the uh, the double the double pack? Yes, VHS. Of course, you did. You ever watched my, it? I like, think my the mom... second first, and then the first second. You know, try and do like a like a revisionist. Do you know? I think I probably start. I think I watched it all the way through a few times, and then probably just skipped a lot to the to the sinking. Um, but yeah, I look like I remember getting it from ASDA. And it came with a like a special limited edition poster because remember that was when it took ages mm. for stuff to come out on like actual home release. It took forever, and that was my most because. But I don't think I think because Titanic spent so long in the cinema, I don't think it felt as long because it was there for like twelve months, wasn't it? People just yeah. they just kept it because I sneaked. That was how I remember when I saw Scream Two, was because I bought a ticket for Titanic. That was my twelfth ticket for Titanic that I bought, but the showcase cinema had only like two places you'd got your ticket checked. So you just had to buy a ticket for one of the other screens. And that was how I sneaked into Scream 2. So I think I'd probably sneaked into Scream 2 and then a month or two later, the home release arrived. But yeah, I was obsessed. I, I remember pre, back in the days when pre-ordering wasn't just a case of clicking the button. I actually had to go up to the counter at Woolworths, pay my pound, got a physical receipt Get you your to seat. make sure you didn't lose it. I think my pre-order was like five or six months before release. They built it up that much. Yeah. yeah. I just remember like constantly, like, cause my, uh, the Wolves was ne- next to where my mum worked. And I used to constantly say to her, is it, is it out yet? Is it out yet? Is it out? She's like, you're old enough to check yourself. <laughs> but yeah. It's, and, and then oh, the amount of viewings on that, as you say, though, yeah. I ended up skipping to, to VHS two when I, cause I'm incapable of going to sleep without any noise. Uh, in the background, so I used to fall asleep with the telly on. So I had a little portable telly in my room, and I used to always, for for a, well, not always, but for a long period of time, put on VHS two of Titanic and just drifted off to fall it. asleep to people dying. Yeah, yeah. normal. Actually, I can't, I can't complain. I do that yeah. with slash films. Yeah, all the time. Good. we always do this, Brad. <laughs> this is cozy for to, us. All the people to try and call me out on that. Listen, I thought for a second I had the moral high ground, but unfortunately, it was but an iceberg, yeah, and I slipped off. <laughs> <laughs> I used to, um, I didn't have a TV in my room and it made me sad, mm. but I had, they released uh, the Titanic soundtrack, which I had on CD, but they also released a second soundtrack, which was Back to Titanic, yeah. which had even more music on it. And I remember I used to fall asleep to the music from Back to Titanic, which was wonderful. And that actually take... segues us on perfectly onto yeah. how do we feel about Celine Dion? We loving her still? I think so. She's post-irony now. It's post-ironic. We're in a post-ironic world. I think we can still... I was just thinking about that before I came on to speak to you guys, is the fact that was a time when the when the track that came on at the credits still really mattered. You know, it's like you would maybe... finding a lot on this, on, the, on this series is it's arguably the last decade where that was, where every big film had some kind of tie. And I remember James Cameron tried to do it with Leona Lewis and avatar and that was a wet fart um that didn't go well <laughs> yeah but the, the 90s was the, the the last bastion of the tie-in theme song yeah uh, until well i think well i say until it was still only a one-off she did this song uh for deadpool 2 as part of a joke actually she... a great song should have oh. 
Yeah, should have caught on. Great song. Bad movie, great song. <laughs> I think, yeah, I still, I mean, that track is kind of totally timeless now. And I didn't, he didn't want her. There was a drama about it, wasn't there? And she mm. kind of convinced him there was definitely something there. I yeah, he didn't remember. know who she was. Wow. Okay. Like James Horner came to him and said, oh, we want to do this over the thing. And he was like, she she big like does anyone know who she is and, and he's like yeah it's <laughs> kind of a big deal <laughs> if, if you maybe hadn't been underwater for the last fucking two years maybe you'd know that james <laughs> maybe you'd know that there's an entire venue in vegas where all the statues have her face <laughs> like That's really it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's now a gay mecca the coliseum i saw Cher there which is probably the gay gayest mecca. thing i've ever said <laughs> <laughs> gay mecca People are always surprised when when they say to me, I I've only in the last few years been able to narrow down like my what my favourite ever things are. Um so my favourite songs. My favourite song's a band uh, called Roadkill Ghost Choir. That sounds heavy, isn't. Uh Vision on Vision Undo, then it's uh Boy Sits Fire Rookie. And then people are always surprised to find that third is My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion. I think it's a perfect song. I think it's phenomenal. Uh as you said performing, James Horner's score is fucking unreal it's tragic it's effervescent in equal parts and the way that the motif of my heart will go on that runs throughout film it's just it's impossible it's like edging yeah it is it is because it's like eventually you're going to get that big key change (laughs) i'm nearly there oh pull back but yeah i mean i think i i I do want to commend you on your pick i think it's um it really, you know, I don't think not any other film typifies the 90s more than Titanic. I think it's the film that kind of defines that entire decade. And I'm glad that you got to pick it, Louise, because I know it is one that you hold very near and dear to your heart. So thank you for letting me talk about it. I appreciated it. Of course. And uh, have you got anything that you wish to plug? No. Yeah. No. <laughs> but by the uh, right. time, you know, yeah. if you check yes. at Twitter yes. at shiny underscore demon at this exact point, you can probably find what I want to plug, but can't. Yes. Uh, we're under the embargo. We are ND aid. Very much so. <laughs> um, but yes, if you go to uh, Louise's Twitter, uh, you will see uh, the very, 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 very fucking cool thing uh now that this has been released that uh she is now currently doing and i couldn't be prouder of her thanks brad no worries but yes thanks for coming on today lou we really appreciate it you're finishing up the final season of x rental it's been a blast oh sorry that was a freudian (laughs) wishful thinking slip oh well shit but onwards and upwards Final, final episode well, Maybe congratulations right on in the mix. finishing your season. Well, nice. May what there be way? many more. Um, yes. But yeah, I meant episode. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm going to have to talk to my therapist about that one. No, it's, been an, it's been an epic interview. Epic episode for an epic movie. And yeah, from me, thank you as well. It's It's been a blast. No, it's been a pleasure to chat. <laughs>